Well, we'd like to welcome everybody back for another bonus episode. And this is another part to the Warriors of Elgato series that Brett's been bringing us from born 100 years too late. Brett, why don't you uh, give us a little intro? I know this one's with Ollie Barney. Can you give us a little little backstory on him and maybe give our listeners a little insight to what they're going to be listening to here? Yeah, Ollie, he was down there in Southern Arizona and, and... When you listen to it, you'll just hear, you know, he's just got a, like a twinkle in his voice, you know, and of all the guys that, that Bruce interviewed him. And then of course, Sewell Goodwin, those two guys, I mean, just, I would have loved to went and hunt with, hunted with them or make a circle with them. And you listen to Ollie, you know, he's worked all, or he's uh, hunted all over the country. You know, he went to Africa and all over the place. And he's just an absolute character and he's got a book. That, matter of fact, it's on Amazon, I think. It's The Life and Times of Ollie Barney. And because uh, he was in World War II, I guess, and, and uh, you know, was in combat and has quite a story. And the book's not totally politically correct, but it's a good story. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anything about old timers is real politically correct anymore. <laughs> no, they wouldn't make it very long, I guess, nowadays. <laughs> no, probably not. I know when Shannon was doing the editing on this, she says, this guy reminds me of my grandfather. Like, sounds like him, you know, that twinkle in the eye, kind of like you're describing. Yeah. So we hope you guys really enjoy this episode of, of Warriors of El Gato with Ollie Barney. And uh, make sure to tune back in for future episodes and check out Brett at Born 100 Years Too Late. And we hope you guys enjoy. Hey, it's February 2nd, 2004, and we're with Ollie Barney out of Nogales, Arizona. And Ollie, you want to uh, tell us where you was born and uh, how long you lived out in this country? Well, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, right practically on the, the grounds of the capital, because I went in on a, my first African hunt, and it was in 72 or 73, and I sent down and got a birth certificate. So I had the address, and I was coming through Phoenix, and... I had the address of the house I was born in, and I drove out there, and I know it's been tore down but now, but I was born in Phoenix, Arizona on January the 23rd, 1919, and I was raised on a ranch that was originally, my dad had goats, but the Forest Service kept a cutting him down and they cutting him down. They had to get rid of his goats. And then along about 1927, he got cattle. And and I lived and worked around the ranch up until the first draft come along in 1940. And I got caught in one of the first and I went into the service in, uh, in January of, 41. And then I went through the World War II and very fortunate to get out of that place alive. And then I come back on the ranch and I was about half sick. I went from 186 pounds and I went down to 151. And when I got out of the service, I weighed 159. And and I worked there on the ranch with my dad for approximately uh, six or eight months. And then I went to work for the park service. I'd worked for him uh, in the summer of 1940. And the superintendent, he kind of liked me. And 
and I worked for the Park Service for a while, and I have never learned to cope with stupidity, so I had a problem with these park rangers. And so I quit, and I bought the ranch from my dad, and I had it for 28 years. And in the meantime, I went and got into construction work and worked there for, for years. I worked up until I was construction superintendent for an outfit. I built over 300 houses for them and ground up. And then long during that time, I got interested in hunting lion. And I never hunted with, well, the only real hunter I'd ever hunted with was Ernest Lee when I was in my teens, and that left an impression on me, and so I bought me a hound, and and I, when he got up to about a year old, I thought it was about time to train him, and, and uh, I quit my job, and Beryl, my wife, she went to Europe on a vacation for about six weeks and toured Europe. She had his, the oldest boy was over there and spent a lot of time with him. And, and I really didn't quite know how to get started lion hunting, but I, I figured, well, there's a will, there's a way. And I figured, well, if I could trap one, I could turn it loose and work my dogs on that. And I, I trapped for, I guess it was close to three months. And I caught bobcats, I caught coyotes, I caught fox, and caught one blue jay, and I caught one deer. And I could see I wasn't getting anywhere on this. So I knew this Jim Wilson from a kid, and he was a, been, a government hunter and he'd worked for the states for years and he told me that he'd been in on 535 lion kills and, um, and he'd told me that years before when I was a kid and so I figured he was the one to go and I went and I told him, Mr. Wilson, I said, how do you go about trapping a lion? Oh, he says, they're easy to trap it, but you've got to have the right bait. And I said, well, what's the right bait? He says, javelina. He said, you take a javelina and you hang him up in a tree somewhere where you saw lion scratches and tracks and where lion is coming through, and you hang his lion up about, or his javelina up probably four or five foot where a lion can reach up and chew on him. And, but he says, pick a tree where there's a bush growing up to it, and you kind of fix a little lane through there, and you put two traps in there and put a big stick in the middle of them because they won't step on this stick. They'll step over or whichever way they're going. If they haven't gotten the first trap, they'll get in the second one. And so Havelina season was coming on pretty quick, so I killed a legal javelina, and I figured if a whole javelina would be good bait, that a half a javelina ought to be good bait. So... I cut this javelina in this Rincon Mountains where I was a hunting there. It was about 
I was an old Forest Service trail went up and across and come down on another one about five miles farther north. So I took my javelina up. I hung it up in the south side and set my traps like he said to set them. And then I went over clear over on the other end and set them. And the first time I come through, the first set, I didn't have anything. But the second set, I had a lion caught. And I let the dogs trail it up and fight it in the trap till they got all excited. And and then I tied my two dogs up, this cow dog, my cow dog, and this young lion. There's a hound dog. And, and I had John Bissett with me. He was just a big old kid then. And so I tied these two dogs up with binders twine. And and then I took a piece of that binder time and tied it into the hondo in my rope. And I got this rope on the line and I stretched him out. He was hung up and and I had John then get a hold of his tail and hold him. And I tied my rope off so he was couldn't do much. And I got around and got both feet on the trap and turned the lion loose. And I told John, you can turn loose of the tail and the lion broke to run and I pulled my rope off of him and let him get out of sight, took my knife, cut my dogs loose and they trailed him up, treat him and I let him bark at him for a good 10 minutes and then I shot the line out or John shot the line out. I didn't shoot it. And, and on the other set, I caught two over there on it and I done the same thing with them. And then I, and by that time, my bait's pretty well gone. And I went out and I crossed this big Tom track that I'd been to see and I'd hoping I could trap him, but I couldn't. And, and the old hound, he smelt that fresh track, and he barked, and he took off on the back track, and God, that was a half a mile overtaking him, and got him off the track, and come back, and put him on the other end, and he trailed him, I guess, maybe three miles, and he treed, and down in a big old deep canyon, we called Deer Creek, and I couldn't see the line up there. He was, it was pretty well hidden in the branch, and it was somewhere or another top of this Ponderosa pine that broke off, and then it started and grew back up about six foot out, and that line that hid to this real thick stuff. But I'm walking around, and finally I could see about 18 inches of his tail hanging out. And I had my friend Stan Corey with me, and I told him, well, he's up there. He walked around and got around up on a big rock where he could see it, and he shot him with his pistol, and the old line just fell. And didn't fall out of the tree, and God, Stan, he wanted that line. And and he was all for going back to the ranch and getting the axe and chopping this tree down. And it's about 20 inch in diameter, and that looked like more than a day's work for me. And I don't know, we, we got to do something else. And then down in this deep canyon, there was some sycamore saplings that grew up, and they about 18, 20 foot long, and one there dead, and I broke it off and climbed up in the oak, and I'm about halfway to the line then. And he 
handed this sycamore sapling up and I poked a line out and that was the first line I ever caught with dogs. And that hound, he went on from there and he got a lung disease along about the time he was uh, close to five years old and he died and I'd caught 21 lion and three bear with him. And then I was out of dogs and I had a long time before I could buy a dog, but I finally bought one, a blue dog from this Alfredo. It was a Mexican cowboy, but he always had several dogs, and he sold dogs to Dale Lee, and Dale Lee said he they were good dogs, and that's basically how I got started lion hunting. What is it that you like about lion hunting? Well, it's a real challenge. And as far as I'm concerned, of all the game animals we got in Arizona, I think a big full-drawn tom lion that you've caught with dogs that you've trained yourself is as good a trophy as you're going to get. Would you rather run a lion or bear? I've run a few bear. I've caught 13 bear, but you've got to have too many dogs. And when I'm up the dirt down in the deep canyon, when I'm down in the deep canyon or up, and you'll, the damn things will run you and your dogs down and the horses and everything, except in the fall of the year when they're fat, they'll treat pretty good. But the rest is in the spring and they're. I never had to good dogs good enough to catch them, tell you the truth. <laughs> so you'd like rather run the lions then? No, you know, I'd lot rather run lion. Yeah. Well, you don't have to have a lot of a bunch of dogs. Hell, if you've got two or three good dogs and a pup, you're in good shape to hunt lion. Yeah. I never, uh, while I was hunting lion and taking out clients, I never owned over four dogs. And two of them would probably be young dogs, and I'd hunt uh, the two young dogs and the two old dogs. And so I was only hunting with four dogs, but I'd have two tied up, and I could rotate them that way, and hell, I could make a 10-day hunt. And I generally, I'd start knocking off about 12 o'clock and start herding, heading back to camp because... Uh, I only caught one or two lion in my lifetime that I started after 12 o'clock. And some of these guys, they hunt all day and they tree the lions and shoot them with a flashlight, but I, didn't, I never hunted that way. Yeah. And, and what I learned about lion hunting, I learned it on my own. I never had an old lion hunter that I could hunt with, and he'd tell me things that he believed in, and these old lion hunters, there's a lot of them, they believe stuff that I don't believe. And Dale Lee, he had one of his stories, and he actually believed it, and I don't believe it, but he said these lions could turn their scent off. But my experience, you hit ground that your dogs can't trail on, but if you can get through that and get back on the ground that's holding the scent, you can go on. And But Dale says they turned the scent off, but I don't I don't believe it. And another thing I've that comes up among lion hunters is how these lions scratch. 
Some of the guys, they maintain that they do it with their hind feet, but I am firmly convinced that they, these toms scratch with their front foot. And I had one in captivity for around four years that I'd bought from Marlon Perkins, a show he put on. And, and I saw him in his pen scratch any number of time. And he'd up there and he had to put his front foot down and his other right beside it. And then he'd scratch with one foot at a time or two. And then he'd put it down and he'd take the other foot and he'd scratch this uh, other part of the scratch. And he always done it the same way. And then when I was working for this Marlon Perker on this show, they had a guy that they'd hired down in South America. And, and they'd been down there and hunted jaguar with him and tied up a crocodile and a few things. And this guy was a Stan Brock. And he wrote a book later, The Jungle Cowboy. And I have the book, and it's interesting. And this guy was for real, you know. He wasn't no dude. He'd come out of England when he was 17 years old and went down in South America and went to work on his ranch and he worked up until he was the manager of it. And he said that he had a female line that he kept around the place. And he said when she was in heat, she'd get down on her belly and she would scratch with both hind feet. And I think that's what's happening. The people they see these scratches right up again a bluff where it has to be done with their hind feet. And, and sometimes, again, a tree. And I'm sure that's why we have the two theories on their scratches. In the wild, without the dogs, how many lines have you seen? I'll tell you, I don't see as many as these people right out of the east <laughs> looking at coyotes and coat of monies and everything. But I actually saw two lions uh-huh. hunting, deer hunting. Yeah. And I saw one the first year. And the following year, within a quarter of a mile, I saw another female lion, and I'm sure it's the same lion. And they're the only two lions that I ever saw out. My dad spent a lifetime in the country working horses and cattle and goats. He never saw one. Huh. But I think it probably we got more lions now than we had in those days. And I, I had a rancher neighbor, and he died when he was up in the, close to 80, and he'd rode all of his life. He'd never saw one. And I know several other cowboys that they know what they're looking at, and they never saw one. So I... But now that we're out in deer hunting, you know, and we got all kinds of deer hunting, and they'll jump up a line, and he'll go by someone, and they'll get to see it. But I think the guy that jumps it up never does see it. Yeah, right. Well, that's my experience in seeing lions and what I've heard about them. The type of dog, the uh, lion dog in size, do you like a smaller dog, medium dog, what? I like the smaller and medium-sized dogs. I don't like these big dogs. They eat more, and then they get sore-footed a lot quicker and easier. And I like black dogs. I've had real good luck with black dogs, but I've had two 
Blue tick dogs is real good, and I had one that come from up in Maine. I don't know the guy's name, but he's raised several world champion coon dogs. And this dog that I own had come from them, and he was a night champion dog. And, and a friend of mine who was a government agent, and he'd got this dog with it as a pup, and he's got someone down south to train him, and they entered him in these night champions. And he won the thing, compete to get 86 dogs. Hmm. And he had a pretty good reputation. And the guy bought a half interest in him for him for $3,000, and they was going to breed him to bitches on account of his bloodline and his night champion status. And... It uh, turned out he's sterile. They bred him to these five bitches and no pups. So they had some air freight to pay for and some stud fees to turn back. And then he had to buy half interest in the dog back. And he got the dog back. He lived over here about a mile. And I knew him well. And he called me up and he says, oh, drifter. He says, my wife says, I got to get rid of him because she went out to pet him and she growled at her and she's afraid of the dog. And he says, you'll take him and if you can make a lion dog out of him, you can have him. And if you don't make a lion dog, we'll bring him back. Well, the first day I had him out, one of my dogs, I was hunting with this, oh, this guy over here, his name was, uh, I can't recall it right now. And and I had one dog that took this track and went way off down half a mile. And I hear him treeing went down there. And I didn't know what he might have a fox tree. So I went down there and Ellie's got the lion caught. And I got back out away from the tree and waved the guys down and come down. And he had a hunter and the hunter shot it. And this drifter was just watching that lion up there. He wasn't really too interested. But when he fell down, he went over there and he licked all the blood off of him he could. And from that day on, he was a lion dog. Of course, he was a trained dog, trained coon dog. And only he just had to make a few minor changes. He had to learn to hunt in the daytime of following a horse or a mule instead of following people around and at night. And, and he was, I had dogs that could trail better than he could. But I never had a dog in my life. It was a locator he was. And I know that's how he got that night champion. It wasn't that he was the first dog to trip. He was the first dog to locate him and the first dog that barked treed. And he got credit all for it. <laughs> yeah. When you uh, say if you're going to go out and, and get a, a pup out of a litter of eight, what do you look for? Well, I'll tell you the best luck I ever had on one, and it was, turned out to be one of the best dogs, if not the best dog I ever owned. And it was, I don't know, I think there was eight in that litter. And they're all out in the pen there playing and bouncing around, and they're having a good time. And this John Marimore that had him, and... The, the bitch, and she was a hell of a bobcat dog, and he treated lots of bobcats with her. 
and I'm looking into watching these dogs, and pretty soon this one little old fella, he come over there and just sat down right beside me and looked up at me, and I said, John, <clears throat> I can't pick one of these pups, but it looks like this and picked me, so I'm going to take him. And I took him everywhere I went, and then he made a hell of a dog. He, he hunted with human intelligence. Mm -hmm. He caught his first line when he was eight months old, and then hunting with good dogs. We were going down to get down in the canyon through a real brushy, and there's a ledge of rocks there. And these old dogs, they're barking around there. They could smell line track, and pretty soon I saw something come out of the, through the brush, and I thought it was a lion. And uh, it went out in the brush. This hunter I had with me said it was two deer. Well, I said, I only saw one, and I said, I'm not sure there's a deer. And pretty soon, this old pup, he just turned around and back of us and started trailing right up the hill. And the other dogs fell in behind him, and when they went over the top of the hill, he was back about third place. And we got up there on the top, and there's an old trail going there, and these, this line had went down the trail for about a hundred yards and apparently turned off but there was an old track there and my old dogs they went on on this old track and for a little ways and then they hung up and this old pup he's a barking down here below me and this hunter said well what's your papa barking at i said oh hell he's got a cow down there or something he's barking at and hell i got to look and he's got a lion on top of big bluff <laughs> <laughs> and I told this guy, now you stay right here, and I'll go get these dogs, and we don't going to just fool around this thing up on that bluff with just one dog. And so I went and I got these dogs, and and I crossed a little wash there on this damn high pre mountain there, and Christ, my dog just took off right down this wash. And then I heard three shots. This guy went up there and the lion jumped off and he shot at it three times with his pistol. And these other dogs, they're treed down there. And, and we went down there and they got a, about a three-year-old tom or maybe two-and-a-half-year-old tom right up the oak right little sapling oak about up about 20 feet and dogs would bark and of course this pup when the line run off and and them dogs barking treed he went to him and this guy got his pistol out and got him a rest and shooting right straight up out it down come the line and christ they was a dog fight and a lion fight took place <laughs> and you know finally this lion is dead and i gutted it out and his bullet it went right under the shoulder blade now the dogs killed his line, but I never told him that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I saw the two down there, you know, and or this up, hunter had saw two animals. It was a huh. this female lion and then this young Tom with her. Yeah. Well, in hunting, would you rather ride a horse or a mule? Well, I'll tell you the truth. I'd rather ride a good mountain horse. I don't like mules. And the only damn reason I ride a mule, I can buy a mule cheaper than I can buy a good horse. And when you're lion hunting on a mule, you're not abusing a good horse. <laughs> That's the only reason I ride them. 
<laughs> not because I like them, they're not because they're better. You don't like but, mules, huh? But they're cheaper to feed. Yeah. And and a mule is will take care of himself better than the rocks, and or less a horse is raised in the rocks. One is raised in the rocks, well he'll he'll take care of himself, but Damn mule, they're just born knowing that they got to take care of themselves. Somebody's going to get hurt to be you, not the mule. <laughs> you keep them shod when you're... When oh, you're yeah. Not. you In this country, you have to have them shod. Yeah. Uh, how about condition of your dogs? you keep those in pretty good condition all all year long? or? I keep mine. You saw them out yeah. there. I just, they're not real fat, but they're not poor. Yeah. I don't like to see real poor hounds. No, I, I love to see hounds taken care of, and a lot of people I know don't take as good a care as their dogs as they should. Yeah, I agree. With I, you. I think the dogs ought to have good shelter in the summer and the winter, and you sh they should get adequate food and. But don't get them too fat. Yeah, and don't get them too lean either. No, you. I've I've seen these guys that they got those dogs out there chained up, look like baloney cows, yeah, well, hips poking out. That's that's no good. I don't like that. No, I don't either. Then I've never had poor dogs. Yeah. What? Well, uh, any particular brand of feed, or that you like to to feed them? Well. Most of the year, I used to feed Purina, mm -hmm. just a standard Purina. And in the wintertime, when I was hunting my dogs, I got the the stronger feed. But now I've been buying this here at Walmart, Old Roy. Mm -hmm. And I just feed the standard when I'm not a hunting them. But in the winter, when I'm a hunting them regular, I go to the high-protein stuff. And then another thing, I like to feed them a little tallow once in a while. Yeah. You can go into a grocery store or run the meat department, and they give you 15, 20 pounds of tallow. And I don't feed them a lot of it, but I'll feed them, you know, maybe a half a pound for with their feed for a day or two till it runs out. And they like it, too. Oh, they love it. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing that... If you got a dog that's not doing real well, and I've done this several times, go to a butcher shop and buy a bunch of these beef guts yeah. and feed that to them. And boy, they'll start getting well. Huh. That. Huh? Good what about vaccination? Do you vaccinate them yearly? Or, or? Yeah, I've, I've vaccinated for this here, you know, distemper every three years, and then this, what is it that? There's another disease. Oh, parvo. That parvo, yeah. yeah. Vaccinate them for parvo. And the rabies. And the rabies and parvo. That's all I vaccinate them for. Yeah. What do you think of the future of lion hunting is? Well, it's looking kind of dim around now. There's so many people that don't know think we ought to be a hunting lion. And then we got to be in here in Arizona. We got a few of these young college boys it's, it's kind of again they think you're taking advantage of the lion hunting them with dogs and i've had bound sportsman's group and have a sport as dale lee called them his clients he called them sport tell you they wouldn't go lion hunting there's nothing to it yeah it's just said you just ride on your horse with your feet hanging down in the lion's tree and you just ride up the tree and shoot it out. But I'll tell you, 
<laughs> I've had a lot of hunters up to the tree, and I've never had one yet that wasn't ready to kill it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or thought they was going to die getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you've hunted all over the world. Yeah. I've been real fortunate. There's very few people alive right now that has done more hunting and shot more species of game than I have. And I've hunted all six of the continents, and I've hunted Africa five times. I've hunted Australia six times, and I'm going back and hunt Australia in September. Be the seventh time I've been there. And in April, I'm going down in Argentina and hunt. You don't sit very still then, do you? Well... I have people ask me, Ollie, isn't these here hunts expensive? I said, yes, they're expensive. But as long as I'm physically able to do it and got the money to do it, I'm going to hunt. Because when I die, the money I save by not hunting is not going to do me a damn bit of good. No, it won't. <laughs> Your daughter goes with you too, doesn't she? Yeah, she's hunted with me extensively, and she's hunted... Uh, Australia twice with me, and she's hunted Africa twice with me. And about the next hunt we do, or probably she hasn't hunted South America. And there's a couple of things in South America that I want to hunt. I'd like to get one of these white-lipped peccaries, and I'd like to shoot a taper. And most of the other stuff down there, I've shot it. Yeah. But... She hadn't shot anything down there, and then she'll only have Asia to hunt. And we'll probably hunt Asia because I probably ought to get a good legitimate Asian hunt because my I've done more hunting, actually hunting in Asia than any other country besides the United States. But it was did a lot of patrol work in the islands and the Philippines and hunting Japs. And I did shoot a few wild pigeons over there, but I don't know these pure international hunters, whether they're going to count that as an Asian hunt or not. <laughs> and I've hunted all the dangerous game in Africa, and they don't hold a candle with two or three armed Japs. Yeah. In in all your hunting, have you ever really been seriously hurt as a result of you being out there hunting? I've never. I've been skinned up with horses falling on me, but I've never been hurt on any hunt. And the only thing that ever charged me real, put on a real charge, was a big African lion. Uh-huh. And the way this come about, that we'd, I'd killed one uh, a few days before, and we run on to these three. We'd trailed them in the sand there. It was in Angola and close to that uh, blamed uh, Caliari Desert, and a lot of that sand that blew in there, a lot of sand, and they tracked these three tom lions up. And, and when they jumped him, these trackers were out of foot, too, and they jumped in the back of the Land Rover, and they charged him with the Land Rover. And then when they stopped and turned around, my hunting buddy shot what he thought was the best one and 
The other two wouldn't leave. So this white hunter, you know, he wasn't too white because he was half native. And he left, and we stayed out about an hour and come back, and there's one of them still there. And God, they beat around on top of the hood of the car and and drove clear around him, and he wouldn't leave. And he was backed up in some brush, and he's upset. And I was running through my computer, what I'm going to have to pay this guy to let me shoot this thing. And before I'd sprung the subject on him, he said, Ollie, he says, we're going to have to leave this line here and lose it, or we're going to have to kill that male. And he says, you watch him. You know, he's fended out a time or two. But when he comes out of there with his tail up, he says, you kill him. And pretty soon he come. And Christ, I mean, I shot him. Well, we were about 75 yards from him. And about halfway to us, I hit him in the chest with a 500 grain 458 slug. And he just whirled around. And I shot him the second time in the rear. And he went down. And he never did roll over. And he, we drove around him, and finally this guy went up, and he hit him with a stick or two and poked him in the eye with his rifle, and then he told me, he said, you didn't have to shoot him that second time. Well, I said, you tell me how damn dangerous they are to trail that wounded. I didn't, wasn't up to trailing the wounded one. <laughs> well, you want to know something about the Jaguars? Yeah, I was, I was wanting to ask you if you guys have been down in there Jaguar hunting. Did you ever hunt with the Lee brothers down there? No, I've never hunted with any of the Lee, only the Ernest, the old, when I was a kid. And I knew Dale Lee real well. I knew, and I said Ernest. Ernest was the oldest and the kind of ramrod, and it was yeah. uh, oh. Dale and Clell and... Well, Dale and Clell, I know them both real well, but I never hunted with them. Vincent, Vincent Lee, he was killed by a horse, fell on him, or a mule, or something. Yeah, I think he rode off a cliff or something in the night. Something got to kill him. And, and then the other, one of the others was shot by one yeah, of their clients. Client. He was sitting down 35, 40 yards from where the... They were at, an old line run his way, jumped out of the tree, and the guy shot him and killed his brother. Well, but uh, I get a kick out of these guys. They saw one or two Jaguar tracks, and they explained to me how you can tell a Jaguar track from a, a lion track. And none one of them has ever told me the real reason how you can tell them back. And the way I found out, what their tracks was like is I was going down with George Parker down to South America jaguar hunting and I thought I'd go out to the desert museum and see one of these jaguars see at least what the hell they looked like and they had this big old tom there in them and Finally, he got up and walked over there, and they had a little pool of water, and he went in that water and wallowed around and got up and shook himself pretty good and started walking out across the cement. 
And I can see his tracks perfect, wet there. Uh-huh. And right off, I knew how to tell a jaguar track because these old jaguars are so much broader in the front than they are behind. And their front foot will be go down here, and the narrow behind and the line behind track will come up right alongside of it and generally just a little ahead of it. For a line, you know, their hind foot steps right in the front track. And Christ, if you can see any plain track, you'll see two tracks there. And down in in Venezuela and Mexico, I saw them in the, the mud where they walked through there. And as far as this pad in the back and all that, it's just like any other cat pad to me. But it seems like the jaguar, he puts his foot down a little, maybe a little harder. And it looked just... Mexicans explained it to me that their lion tracks is softer. It, but they do look like they're rubber. But Kim, the secret is, thank God you'll see them, there'll be two tracks. Uh-huh. And and then another thing, and I was hunting with these two Mexicans, and, and they'd caught quite a few jaguars, and they'd come to a scratch, and that's a jaguar scratch. They'd come to another one, and there was a lion scratch, and I couldn't figure out, uh, I couldn't see any damn difference in them. It looked like to me. So I asked this Mexican, I said, how can you tell it? And then they started showing me off the side of it, little limbs that had been barked off, big as your finger or so. Mm-hmm. And they said when a jaguar scratches, he'll bite off two or three or four limbs around where he scratches. And a lion, they never do it. I've Ever since then, I've watched lions scratching. I've never found where one had bit the brush off. Well, you live right here on the Mexican border. Have you ever seen jaguars here in the United States? I've never saw one. I've never killed one, but I've hunted them four times. Uh-huh. And I had one in Venezuela down there. The dogs had it stopped for three hours, and it was a little peninsula jungle run out, and there was a road cut across it, brushed out about 100 foot wide. And uh, I had uh, five dogs. I had uh, two old dogs of my own, and then when the hunt on this ranch down there we had to bring a couple of a pair of dogs hounds dogs so i brought some young dogs and didn't have much experience and and then this they had a what they call a tigretto there you know tiger man uh, that killed a jaguars there and they had a big cow ranch they only run twenty six thousand head of cattle and they had their own school, their own stores, and all of their own road equipment and everything, and their own vet. And uh, when they first made this jaguar, and he turned on them and growled and snapped his teeth, and I just, I never could see him. I could hear him, and those two young dogs and that Tigretto's dog, they come back, and I never saw dogs with their tails pulled up so tight between their legs in my life and a hump in their back. And this Tigretto's dog, he'd get right between my legs, and I went chopping around, and there'd be a dog barking here, and I know the jaguar's in the middle and trying to get into or get a shot at it. And working with my chetty, and I hit this dog right along the top of his ear, 
and cut a gash in there about two inches wide, and his ear dropped down to where he's about to step on it, and I'm concerned then, but I'm going to tell this Tigretto how I chopped his dog's ear off, or nearly off with a machete. I was with George Parker, and he said, hell, Ollie, he says, you don't have to worry about it. As soon as they'll see it, they'll think to... They called them tigers, he says. They'll think the tiger done it, and hell, he'd be worth another 100 boulevard. <laughs> and that's just the way it worked. As soon as they saw this one guy, he says, look at your dog, what's a tiger did to him. <laughs> Vet sewed him up, and hell, he was all right. And we never caught a jaguar on that trip, but he left the two dogs, and hell, it wasn't a week or two. Those a female jaguar come in there and killed two calves and they took those two dogs down there and they caught it. Shot it out of the tree with a shotgun. They shipped the hide up to George and you could see these buckshots in his head <laughs> through the hide. Now when you're hunting down there, I mean you guys are in some pretty uh, swampy areas, aren't you? Well, the areas we was in was mostly just uh, rainforest. So it gets, it's pretty hot and humid. And yeah, it was really hot and humid and lots of ticks. Ticks, huh? <laughs> yeah. And I'd, I'd really love to kill a jaguar, but I think I'm getting too old to fight that jungle. And, and George and I took a couple of traps down there. We thought, well, maybe we'd trap a, a, a jaguar. And we got down there and we killed three howler monkeys and this Mexican, he claimed to be a, have hunted jaguars and caught some, but I don't think he ever had. But anyhow, he's starting to build him a mannequin up in the tree there. I asked George, I said, what the hell is that Mexican doing? Well, he said he's building a mannequin where you're going to set tonight. So, the jaguar comes on his bait. I told George, I said, you can set up in that mannequin all night if you want to, but I'm not going to set there. I said, if I can't catch him in the damn trap, I said, they went. And next morning, this guy, he couldn't couldn't take us down to the their traps. He had other business. And George, he never had any experience around in the jungles, but he asked me, he says, can you go back there to where our traps is? I said, hell, it's no problem. Well, I said, I spent damn near four years in the jungles. And there would be no problem. Hell, we went down there, and we got down there, and I don't know what we'd done. We'd have stopped fooling around and try to shoot something, and we see this guy and two or three more Mexicans are following us up. And when they saw us, they saw them, and then they ducked off and went off their own way. And we went down and picked up our traps, and... Old George, he told that guy, he he says, my compañero, my partner, he, he spent a lot of time in World War II in the jungles shooting Japs. And uh, I'm a little ahead of my story because we went down there and George, he told me, he says, I don't want you talking any Spanish or and don't never get close to me. Always stay separated. And because he says I don't know these guys down there, and we don't know what they might want to rob us and get our guns and our truck and whatnot. And 
We was down there where they were discovered all this oil down in the lower Mexico there in the it below the Itmus of Tuanapec. And and they had camps strung out long through there and they had a road down there and they were building the dam in there for hydroelectric power. And it's one night they discovered that oil and they was bringing pipes down, well pipes. And, <clears throat> and they had these uh, camps and they was clearing land and for the agrarian farmers uh, to come down and settle the country. And they'd had an old Mexican gal, probably in her 50s or so, and a younger one cooking for the crew. And so that's where we were staying. And about the second day in this first camp, this uh, old gal asked George, he said, what about your partner, your compañero, no habla, don't talk. And George says he's a priest. He's, and when he's on vacations, all he does is hunt and drink whiskey. <laughs> <clears throat> and then that got a few problems to go on because, you know, well, some of those people there, they were married and they weren't married, but they had four or five kids and a priest in camp. They wanted to get married. And of course, my excuse for not marrying him, you know, it would be getting in bad with their priests because these priests, you know, they milk them for everything they're worth when they marry them. And, you know. So I was a, a priest there for 10 days. And then when we was down to this one place there where we had set the traps and in this telling this guy that I'd fought over there in World War II, and that's what they used me for, to go around the back of the Japanese lines and shoot half a dozen of them and then just fade out in the brush and, and work on them that way. And then they said he sent him out there on an island. There was something going on, and they put him out there with a thousand rounds of ammunition and two weeks' groceries, landed him in a submarine, and he had a radio to call him to when and bring him back. And he said when his ammunition was up, he called him and come back out. And he said, that's the reason he got religion. He killed so many Japs, he got religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting away off of lion hunting stories, but these are things that happened when I was jaguar hunting and lion hunting. Where else have you hunted? I mean, uh, do you ever hunt lions in the snow up in the Idaho or Utah or no? Like I never. I've hunted down here in the snow a time or two, yeah. and I've the first one I caught in the snow. I found the kill the evening before, and that night it snowed, and we went back to the kill, and the lion had been in there, but it had a good four inches of snow, and those hounds trailed that thing up and caught it, and the tracks was under the snow. Huh. Now, you don't rig dogs, do you? Don't what? Rig them, put them up on the hood of the truck. Oh, Christ, baby. I'm gullible, but not that damn gullible, <laughs> and I'm not gullible enough to believe it until I see it. <laughs> I know all these, all the dry ground lion hunters, that they want to just ride and strike, you know, off a horse or a mule. 
Those guys up there in Idaho and Utah, they like to rig those dogs. They don't even use a horse anymore. I don't well, think. you know, they can see the damn track in the snow. Yeah. I caught a line that way up yeah. here in McGeeville, there and back at Green Valley there. And I went up there when it snowed the night before and their cowboy there. And we went out and we found where a lion crossed the track. And turned the hounds loose when they got through playing around in the snow they took the track and trailed it and hell they got plumb away from us and and figured they'd just turn back from where we saw the tracks last and the kids there out of McGeeville they were riding the snow and tires down toboggan and like and they said the dogs had went by them earlier way up on the hill and we got up on the road and here come some hikers down there four or five hikers and we saw them and we asked them if they'd heard or seen any hounds oh they said up there at that town there's no cabin up there said behind that cabin there's dogs that got a lion treat <laughs> and we went up there and sure enough they had it <laughs> so much for the lion race then huh? yeah <laughs> And that's only two lions I recall that I actually caught in the snow. I, they called me up there one time that when I was on crutches, and damn, my horse fell on my leg, and I was on crutches for a while. And, and we turned those, I told them, I said, I can't hunt, but I said, you come get me, I'll take my dogs up there, and if you'll saddle some horses and ride up to where this kill is, and it's right off the road, and I'll turn the dogs loose. Hell, I turned the dogs loose. You thought they'd have smelled that kill, but they're just running up and down the road of playing in the snow. And I told those guys, I said, well, you just ride off up there where that kill is, and I think those dogs will follow you. And sure enough, they fell in, they got the kill, and they was followed it up, and they got the lion and killed it. But I was, you know, I was just, I was just furnishing the dogs on that. I wasn't doing anything. You've lived a, a long life and done a lot of things. Is there anything looking back? Is there anything that you would have changed or rather? Well, yes, there definitely is. What I'm telling people now. In my lifetime, I've been farther, saw more, forgot more, no less than about anyone they'll ever talk to. But there is two changes I would actually make. What's that? I'd start 10 years sooner and do it on a bigger scale. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. That's the changes I'd make. Yeah. Okay. Now we have Sherry with us which is your daughter, and uh, she's been on a lot of these hunts with you. So, Sherry, uh, how did you get started hunting, or what inspired you to start that or do it? Well, I was always interested in what he was doing, and uh -huh. I think I was nine years old. He had a little uh, twenty-two rifle, and he started teaching me to shoot with that rifle, and I started going hunting with him. I couldn't hunt myself then. At that time, a uh, kid had to be 14 to get a hunting license. So I just tagged along for four or five years until I was 14 and, and got a license and could start hunting. Uh, we started deer hunting up uh, near Clifton. It was uh, the first hunt I was on. 
whitetail hunting. And we hunted deer and buffalo and antelope and went turkey hunting once. Was not successful at that. But elk hunting. Yeah, went elk hunting. Lion hunting. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, How'd you like the lion hunting part? I, I really enjoyed it. I mm-hmm. liked uh, going after the dogs, listening yeah. to them when they, when they hit a track and, and then when they think they got something treed. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Did you ever, when you're out lion hunting and everything, did you ever get a chance to really get in there and help the dogs and try to straighten them out on the back track or anything like that? Oh, I was with him when, yeah. when we did it, but not by myself. Yeah. I haven't done that. Yeah. But. How about from uh, some of the other ladies? Uh, what do they think of your hunting around the world and stuff? <laughs> well, um, nobody else, uh, no other woman I know has done it. So uh, most of them are are not hunters. They uh-huh. something you almost have to grow up doing. Yeah. And uh, they don't they don't understand how I could I could actually be a hunter and and uh, kill something. But um, most of them say, well, if that's what what I want to do. It's okay with them. But yeah. What's the biggest caliber gun you shoot? A three seventy five. Yeah. I uh, got that when we went um, to Zimbabwe a couple of years ago. Uh, we took two months and went around the world, mm-hmm. headed west from Tucson, mm-hmm. went to Phoenix, to L.A., to uh, Sydney, to Adelaide, back to Sydney, and down to New Zealand, which was a very exciting hunt, uh, up in the uh, Southern Alps at about, um, what were we, 10, 11,000 feet? 10,500 mm-hmm. feet. And then back to South Africa, to Zimbabwe, back to uh, Johannesburg, and then up to London, where, and we took a week off then, since we'd been, we'd been so busy, we took a week off, and we're tourists oh. uh, in uh, southern England, and Scotland, we got to Scotland. So we had a very busy two months. What's your favorite place to hunt in the world? I really enjoyed um, New Zealand. Um, we just got back in October, last October, we went to Poland, uh-huh. and we had two hunts there, one in the southwestern part of Poland, and the other up north, uh, east of Gdansk, about 100 miles, and uh, the hunting was not great, but the people were fun, and uh, we each got a mouflon and a sika deer, uh-huh. which were new species for us. But I think if we were going to go back again, I'd like to. I, I'd like to go back to uh, New Zealand. New Zealand, huh? But we haven't done. I haven't done South America yet. This will be his second or third hunt in South America. Now you also have uh, some species in the record books, don't you? Uh, yes, I was very lucky on my first trip to Africa. Uh, I was able to get some uh, gold medal species of blessbok. Uh, my uh, wildebeest and uh, my warthog. Love that warthog. Yeah, it's so I ugly. Saw, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> Have you? Um, I would imagine they've written some articles on you, haven't they? Um, they don't write up much hunting much around here anymore. They used to when I was in high school and college. There used to be uh, a lot of. Uh, uh, Sports writers who would write about hunting, and uh, I have a lot of uh, newspaper articles that were written about 
uh, Ollie mm-hmm. and mine, honey, but it's just not done much anymore. No. Just don't write about them at all. I guess it's the antis that complain. Mm-hmm. Everybody. I've got a few letters in there, anti hunters. But if it weren't for the the hunters and the people who care, there. Yeah, exactly. They would lose a lot of the, the species. Exactly. I like one answer that Sherry used to give once in a while. When these some old gal would say, well, "How can you shoot them poor little old deer?" And Sherry says, "It's pretty hard to kill one of them when they're out there past two hundred yards." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not an easy shot. Yeah. <laughs> but that's she's killed three water buffaloes with that 375 and four shots and the fourth shot whose animal was down and he said to shoot it in the neck and or otherwise he'd have killed three water buffalo with three shots but you know yeah it isn't so what kind of a gun you got is how you shoot it and then knowing where to shoot them Because you can shoot them in the belly, and I don't care how big a gun you got a wounded one on your hands. And what about the recoil on that three seventy five? Is that a little much? Or? It was um, for target. It's not something I want to target practice with a lot. But um, the gunsmith in, in Tucson, um, Brian Murray, uh, put a really good recoil pad on it and a muzzle brake. Uh-huh. So that, that toned it down quite a bit. But. And then, we instead of 300 grain bullets, we went to these 270 grain Barnes X bullets, and that's, that tamed it down some too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we just loaded, you know, just somewhere near maximum, not to do everything could to cut the recoil down. And it's, with a recoil pad, he got it to fit her and everything, and it's a little more than a seven mag, but yeah, it's pleasant enough to shoot. <laughs> well, I've hunted with his seven mag quite a bit. Yeah, uh, I've shot it on, on a number of different hunts. But it's kind of funny when I'm actually hunting, I never hear it, I never feel it. I was just going to say, whenever you pull a trigger on an animal out there, it, it, you never, never you it. never hear it, never feel it. Mm-mm. It's only target practicing or yeah. just anticipating the, the yeah. noise more than the recoil. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. But most of the hunting I've done with uh, 308. Ollie gave me a 308 when I was 16, and I model 88 lever action. Mm-hmm. I bought that thing when they first come out. It was. Uh, I guess as far as I know, it was the second one sold in Arizona, and it was a salesman sample out of California. <laughs> and I made her up a good rival, good Mauser action, and fancy stock, and, and a 280 Remington. But I can't get her weaned off of that 308. <laughs> <laughs> when you're out line hunting, what's your favorite uh, saddle gun? Well... She's always used mine, and uh, I've had two of them. The first saddle gun I had, and I started out, I just used a pistol, but you know, if sometimes a pistol's not an adequate, and when Marlin first brought this lever action, shouting the 44 Magnum pistol, I bought one of them. I took it to the gun's bed and had the barrel cut down to 16 and a quarter inches, 
And I come back and put in the miter saw and cut a half an inch off the stock. Uh-huh. And God, I packed that thing for years and years. And I know it killed between 45 and 50 lions, different people. And, and then, uh, you know, that action was for a 30-30 length cartridge. But then here in the last, oh, about five or six years ago, Marlin come out and made one with a short action. And I had a friend that wanted it real bad, and I let him have the old one, and I bought a new one. <laughs> well, packing it, but it's practically new. It's got some scratches on it. And, yeah. Well, I think that's about it. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say or anything? Oh, Christ, you've heard enough of my BS. <laughs> <laughs> One exception. <laughs>